Welcome to episode 23 of Can We Still Be Friends, the podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. For this episode, we welcome Eric Fortman. Welcome, Eric. Hi, thank you. Eric is here to help us discuss Grey Gardens, the landmark documentary from 1975, directed by the Maisels Brothers. We chose this movie in memory of Albert Maisels, who passed away on March 5th this year. It's also a very important movie that I've only watched recently. Ryan has only seen part of, and Eric loves. Great Gardens has had a broad impact, though at the time there wasn't really a box office take to speak of. It has won a handful of awards, though many of those awards were given years later. Its biggest impact is in its cult status, inspiring entire fashion lines, a musical and an HBO movie, among other things. The Maisels themselves have had a major impact, moving the documentary beyond purely informative and into a form of entertainment and exploration. But has its impact reached beyond its quality? Does Grey Gardens stand up on its own? Or are its best years behind it and it's been living out its days in a secluded beach house, unaware of the way the world has moved on without it? Keep on listening. This is the best thing to wear for the day, you understand. Yeah. Because I don't like women in skirts. And the best thing is to wear pantyhose or some pants under a short skirt, I think. Then you have the pants under the skirt, and then you can pull the stockings up over the pants underneath the skirt. Mm -hmm. And you can always take off the skirt and use it as a cape. So I think this is the best costume for the day. Okay. <laughs> I have to think these things up, you know. All right, that was a clip from the movie that we're discussing today, uh, Grey Gardens. That was Little Edie, Bouvier Beale. Mm -hmm. uh, describing one of her many, many eccentric outfits. Costumes. Costumes, yes. yes. That was the revolutionary costume. Was it? Yes. It's, I didn't know it had a name. Because she would get in trouble wearing it in East Hampton, oh. but she tells them, and she want, didn't want to shock See, this is why Brooks, I'm glad you <laughs> Oh, that's right. She didn't want to shock Brooks. Yeah, scandalize. Yeah. So um, as we mentioned in our intro, or at least alluded to, we um, are doing... Grey Gardens because Albert Maisels, one of the directors of Grey Gardens, along with his brother, David Maisels, uh, passed away um, March 5th. The Maisels brothers as filmmakers are kind of, um, kind of fathers of documentary film as we know it. Both the Maisels, you know, they were real movers and shakers. Mm -hmm. And that's how Grey Gardens, you know, came about. Yeah. I, the, I, I don't know much actually yeah, about how Grey Gardens came was, about. But one I, of my questions was how they picked them as subjects. And is that something we want to talk about now, or do we want to talk about that later? Why, why don't we come back to that, definitely. Um, but why don't we go ahead and maybe do you know what we do in all of our podcast episodes, where uh, we basically talk about our experience with Grey Gardens before mm -hmm. watching it for this episode. Um, you know, Ryan, you you had really not even seen it um, no, fully, I had at seen least. part of it. And it's one of those movies that you just always have to see. If you haven't mm -hmm. seen it yet, the emphasis is on yet because there's some point in your life where you you should see Grey Gardens, right? Um, and so, you'll hear references to it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There are a lot of references to Grey Gardens, um, and so it's one that I'd always wanted to see um, and was aware of, but hadn't ever 
seen all the way through, but you've seen it. I actually had just seen it recently. I decided to watch it because I kind of made this New Year's resolution this year that I was going to watch one Criterion uh, film every week mm-hmm. for the year 2015. And um, I just was looking through my Hulu Plus account and I saw it there. And I actually, you know, Eric, because we've been friends for a little while, um, I knew that it was one of your all-time favorites. Um, and I heard you talking about it a lot every once in a while. And, and I just decided now was the time I was going to watch it. This was probably about a month or so ago. And we talked about it at work. I saw you. We did. Yeah. The, about, about the next day or so, I, I told you I had finally seen it. And I think I told you my feeling right, was that right. I was pretty confused about how I felt about it. Like I didn't know what to think of it. And, yeah. um, you know, one thing we've been doing for our last uh, two episodes um, is we've been kind of bringing in our star ratings that we put in our letterboxd account, um, which is a place where you can rate your movies. Um, and they have a five star rating system. And after I had watched it that first time, I had given it a three and a half star rating because I felt like I had seen something like I liked it. I don't know why I liked it. And I, I remember I wrote as a note to the star rating that I wasn't ashamed to admit that I was confused mm-hmm. by this movie. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was my feeling. Um, before going into or going into this rewatch. Um, Eric, what about you? What, what was your, I mean, obviously you've had a lot of experience with this movie. It's um, one of your favorites. The first time I saw it, I was probably maybe 16, 16, 17. And um, I watched it because, you know, there's always sort of pop culture references to mm-hmm. it. And um, I'm a big admirer of the Kennedy family. And you know, the mm-hmm. Bouviers were Jacqueline Kennedy, mm-hmm. Onassis's family. This was her aunt and her first cousin. They were right. pretty close relatives. So I thought it was at Cook Library, and they had the VHS, and I took mm-hmm. it home one day, and I was very confused. And if I had Letterboxd then, I would have given it a three stars because, okay, you know, it, hmm. yeah, it was far out. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. You know, and then I always say this movie takes a lot of rewatchings throughout your life Mm, mm. and each time you watch it i know both the mazels thought this movie was sort of um like a rorschach test to test your boundaries and your limitations of how you feel about life and um it's very interesting yeah Yeah. but what was it that made you decide to revisit it you know because i think if i had haunted me i mean okay yeah even the first time you see it even if you have a visceral reaction to it Uh uh-huh yeah. You know, it'll haunt you forever. I mean, you feel like you just got to you got to just see it yeah. again. I mean, that first time, it's not necessarily an enjoyable experience. Right, right. And you're right. The, it, the haunting is a very good word. The voices, they're, I don't know. Yeah. You know and I think, well, too, like when you rewatch it, you know, you often hear the sound of the ocean outside mm-hmm. the house. And to me, watching it repeatedly, you kind of go into that flow and ebb of the movie, mm-hmm. of their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And almost there's almost even with like all the the screaming and the singing and the carrying on, there's a very quiet part of the movie. There mm-hmm. is, yeah. You know that I think that's the haunting part. Hmm. Mm. How many times did you have to watch it before you eventually came to the oh. point where it became one of your favorites? I would, <laughs> I would probably. Or how did that say, happen? Can you explain? Like I just I... like you know like I carried it with me, and then people would talk about it, and then you know you think, oh, yeah, those crazy women, and then mm. like I ca- I really can't remember what what viewing it was. And I thought, you know, I don't know maybe what was going on in my life at the time, Mm -hmm. but you know, the movie to me is like, you have to trust the vulnerability of being yourself. 
And that's, I think, one of the most beautiful things in life. And I think that's what these two women did. Hmm. And I think once I understood that, then it was like I watched it again for the first time. And oh, it was okay. really... It was like a most, whole new experience yeah, at that point. The most beautiful movie I've ever seen. Wow. And no exaggeration there. No, none. Absolutely none. The most, wow. Well, okay. Now that we've heard that, after hearing that, Ryan, <laughs> yeah. would you like to maybe share, um, since this is your first time seeing it, what's that rating going to be on Letterboxd? I mean, interestingly enough. We'll get into why. You yeah. Know, my, my, my rating, I was thinking about it on the way over here. I, I would, I would have, I didn't do it because I was going to wait until after the episode to actually rate it, but um, I would have rated it a three and a half just we, for we've that. We've been on the same page every time so far. Yeah. Our, premise isn't really holding up <laughs> but just because i mean the exact same thing i saw something important but i don't know how to process it yet. yeah and i'm very much looking forward to hearing what eric has to say because um the conversation would it's be the first time i've heard that in a long long time <laughs> <laughs> um but I, I feel like nate and i would maybe come to some conclusions but it would be very much like Oh, I guess maybe we're still kind of in that uh, adolescent phase of Jay Gardens. We need somebody who's, I don't know, walked the path a little bit more. Got a little Beal wisdom. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) But it's, it's because I feel like the women can be perceived so many different ways. They can be fascinating or they can be pitiful or they can be funny or they can be sad or they can be intimidating or they can be delusional just all these different ways that you could look at them um and i think it says a lot about the viewer mm-hmm. or like you said your stage in life mm-hmm. um watching it in high school i have no idea what i would have expected how i could have would have perceived it right so yeah it'll be interesting to un- unravel it a little bit right Rewatching it for this episode um i'm already go i'm gonna i'll say i'll bump it up from th- it was three and a half when i watched it and this was only you know a few mm-hmm. weeks ago but watching it already um again I'm already kind of bumping it up to probably about a four star rating at this point that I did actually like it more this right, time around okay. than the last time I watched it. But that's good to know that on even a very close repeat, yeah. know, it already moved up for you. So um, we should start, I guess, talking about the movie a little bit more in depth, maybe. I guess so. Um, well, can we start with how the movie maybe got made a little bit? Because that that was a question I had for a long time was how did they pick the Beals as subjects and how did they end up filming them so closely? Right. Um, and Eric, it seems like you know some of that history. Yeah. So the movie came about um, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis's sister. His name is Lee Rasidvel, and she's still living. She was dating a photographer named Peter Beard who um, was a real playboy and, you know, they would hang out in the Hamptons and they would rock and they hung out with the stones and, and Lee Razadwell became good friends with the Maisels who were very good friends with Peter Beard. And she wanted to make a movie about her childhood. She had a lot of nostalgia. She said Mm -hmm. about her childhood in the Hamptons in New York and her boyfriend, Peter Beard said, the Maisels would be the perfect people to do it. So they started to film scenes with her walking on the beach, you know, kind of nothing really interesting. And then she said, you know, I think you should meet my aunt and my cousin. (laughs) And at the time they had actually, I think had already been raided. You know, they like the the newspaper headline. Right. At the beginning of the, yeah, yeah, they they weren't completely unknown maybe to the Maisels of the world. So I'm not sure if that happened before or after. Lee 
brought the Maisels to meet the Beals. Mm-hmm. And um, they said once they did, I mean, they filmed them for, you know, maybe two hours. And they said, this is a movie. This is, this wow. is it, yeah. And um, once Lee Razadwell saw the footage of the Beale, she said, the movie is over. I am not doing this. You will not embarrass me. You will not embarrass my sister. Oh, no. So she did not no. want this to happen. So they waited, I guess, maybe about a year. And they, the Maisels kept in touch with the Beals. And at this time, I think the house had been cleaned up, and which was paid for by Jackie Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. and um, you see that in the beginning. Yeah, that she took part, and she supported. She supported them financially. Oh, okay, I um, wondered how they sustained. And um, that was the other question I yeah. had. Yeah, and um, Little Edie's life too after her mother's death. Hmm. You know, um, so they came and they said, you know, we want to make this movie, and the two of them, you know, as you known the the film they, they are like the spotlight yeah they yes and and i think they only filmed for about six weeks wow and um, and, it, and i remember um i had a, i watched some special features on the dv mm-hmm. on the dvd that i watched and um they had said that it, unlike a lot of documentaries at the time which would bring in maybe at least four additional crew members this was just the two brothers right like they, lugging they, around those huge cameras right. yep. and i think their um editing team were two women, I think, and they didn't meet the Beals during the actual filming, but they edited the movie, and so you know they definitely felt a connection to them, yeah. and very, very close to them. And did those women get directing credits as they well? They did. Okay. And I guess that was something that the Maisels did a lot. And one of the women, I think her name's Muffy, I think, she um, when she first met Little Edie, like she just burst into tears because this was someone she's known for years and yeah, she yeah. hadn't really met, but she had met, you know, and that's she knew so how well, we all feel watching right? the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point because I think even on the first watch of this movie, you you feel like you know these people and they're definitely giving a lot of themselves right. in this movie. In, in and nothing was scripted. I mean, they said repeatedly, like people asked them, did you tell them to say these things? <laughs> they said no, because they would come to the house and they would have to spray themselves for fleas and they'd put flea collars around their ankles because the garbage and you know oh the goodness. the bugs and everything in the house were so awful yeah and um they would hear them the same conversations the same songs outside the house before they went in and it was their wow. world well and that's interesting what you say about like how you feel like you know them because that's i think for me one of the unsettling things because they give the backstory which is not a flattering backstory when they show the newspaper headlines of the house being raided and then being forced to be cleaned up, which is a fairly undignified. Mm-hmm. Well, especially when you've got, you know, Jackie Kennedy coming right, in to right. do it for yeah. you, you know. You know, depicted almost the way it was with like Princess Di going to third world countries and no, like, really. you know, like that sort of thing. Like it was very much like a, oh, look at this humanitarian effort Jackie is putting into these relatives. Right. You meet them in a very undignified state without knowing anything well, that's but true. that mm-hmm. and then their history is unfolded slowly through their stories not even through the same sort of headlines or any any verifiable facts so it, it's unsettling because you find out these Im- you know fairly embarrassing intimate details of these women and you see them in very Revealing clothing, but like not in any way that's provocative. In a way that you're sort of, I don't know, Big Edie, hoping she'll cover up a little bit more. Right. Not not in any way, but for her sake, more. You know, and 
it's an odd thing to see someone so vulnerable and that's all you know of them is there there's this vulnerability and then even more odd that they aren't embarrassed by it and i think mm-hmm. that's well, I what's mean, I sort think, of i think that's what's so beautiful yeah, about the movie is I, that I can you know that's that. their strength they're not ashamed in any way mm-hmm. shape or form by how they live mm-hmm. you know because too both of them i mean they're to the manner born you know yeah, and even right. living you know big Edie naked in that bed yeah you know with the cats and the pizza boxes she yeah. was you know she was it yeah. yeah and i i i can see that coming on repeat viewings but with this first viewing it it's just something that you don't process you don't meet people that way mm-hmm. so their 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 lack of shame in it is i don't know it, it's it's unnerving and it's a bit first. of a it almost felt like a, a provocation in a right. way, like almost like it, it forced me to almost evaluate how I size up everyone. Well, when exactly. I, meet them. I mean, that's the test. You know, you like know, it's right. provoking you to it. say, like, what do you think of these people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are you supposed to think that way right. about these people? What, how do you interpret people when you meet them? How do you yeah. size them up? Mm-hmm. How do you write them off? Yeah. Or how do you embrace them? You know, I, and, and even on a second viewing, I'm still a bit just unsettled by it, you yeah. know, um, in a good way. I think it's mm-hmm. actually in that way, it's almost like it's it's a good process for it's everyone to go through well, too, because think, it's a challenging thing that you have to come out the other side and maybe even see a few things in yourself. Well, that was, you know, yeah, I was just yeah, going to say, is, like, yeah. you know, what you're asking yourself really, you know, when you're so uncomfortable seeing this, you know, is like, what is it about yourself that's you find uncomfortable? Yeah. You know, because we all will see ourselves, you know, what we might want, to be or what we won't want to be in these two women in this house. Mother's giving her all this SHIT, so I went and told some things about the family. But you see, in dealing with me, the relatives didn't know that they were dealing with a staunch character. And I tell you, if there's anything worse than a staunch woman, S-T-A-U-N-C-H. There's nothing worse, I'm telling you. They don't weaken, no matter what. Fears we might have of how our yeah. life might end up. Or oh, and I... Broken hopes and yeah, exactly, disappointments yeah, yeah. to ourselves. It's exactly oh, what I, I even wrote that down in, in my notes where I said, basically, Grey Gardens pinpoints the two ways in which I will often look at my own life's <laughs> aspirations <laughs> through two very different looking glasses. I feel like the Maisels, as filmmakers, make American films. Before watching Grey Gardens, I watched Salesman and Gimme Shelter. And in a very subtle and brilliant way, they often challenge America's ideals, mm-hmm. whether it's the more pragmatic ideals like individual choice, capitalism, the American dream, or whether it's the more romantic ideals of like freedom, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, all that kind of stuff. Salesman, which was the Bible Salesman documentary, was much more of a critique of that pragmatic approach. Mm-hmm. Like it's a devastating look at the American dream and how it dupes the middle class. Gimme Shelter was almost on the other side. Like it was a critique of um, that more romantic ideal of America, which is um, equally devastating to look at in Gimme Shelter, which is basically this counterculture's bohemian interpretation of freedom. And both films leave you unsettled. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Grey Gardens, which kind of gives you both simultaneously in the Beals. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know whether to think that the Beals are nonconformist idols, role models of staunch individualism, you know, unapologetically expressing themselves, Mm -hmm. or 
the other side of me, the other way I look through the looking glass with everything that I think about as far as my own life is, are they non-participants, reclusive, still spoiled from an aristocratic inheritance with the luxury to live, even if it's in filth, sedentary, self-absorbed lives that naturally come from a life without work? You know, um, it's the two dueling halves of my own self when I'm watching this, you know? Yeah. I, I totally follow you. And I think I think you're absolutely right. And I think that that divide is um represented by Big Edie and like little Edie. I don't I don't think that they represent the same things. You've almost got pre war in Big Edie and post war in Little Edie. Yeah. But the pre war domination of Big Edie is keeping little Edie from breaking free. She made me leave the bar. Oh, that was. I thought you'd been in New York long enough. You were getting lines in your but face. I didn't and want to leave. I was getting my big chance. Oh, no, you were not. That married man was not oh, going to give you any chance at all. You were not. I was going to get it. Well, you didn't get it. You missed out. I was oh, just no. getting oh, out so what you called now, a little you're wasting, you're wasting that thing on this because it's, it's, it's just nuts. When she said I had to come well, I home. Well, you should come home. There, there, there's a lot about what is a woman in Little Edie. She's just like 15 years too early because mm -hmm. if she had had that sort of freedom of, with her clothing, with her, her mentality, um, she would have been a revolutionary. But as it was, she was a societal failure and ended up not being able to flourish because she couldn't. She didn't have a trained voice and she didn't have the right husband and she was too young for one and too old for another. And it ended up kind of just keeping her sedentary. And um, that to me is one of the things that makes me sad about this movie is that, that little Edie is such a, I don't want to use the word victim mm -hmm. because I don't want to sound like I think she's weak because she's not. Mm -hmm. But Maybe she she's is, more a prisoner. Yeah. That's, that's a much better word for it. Um, and that she, part of that aristocratic life, which some might say spoiled her, also kept her, quote, in line, you know, unable to break free from her mother and some of those other things that really were keeping her from reaching her potential. Well, I think that's yeah. a bond between both of them mm. was that the society which they lived, you know, imposed regulations and rules, you know, that they both broke to what degree and what price they paid, you know, right. we'll be talking about every time people watch this movie. Yeah. Big Edie got married, you know, like she was supposed to, but she wanted her singing career and she chose that over her marriage mm -hmm. and she stayed in this decaying house for 50 years. Her daughter didn't want to get married to like, you know, a banker, a stockbroker right. in this wasp white bread world. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, lived with their choice. Yeah. Well, and I, I kind of feel like all of these questions that that we bring up, the reason that they work is because the Maisels don't answer it for right. you at all. Right. Yeah. But I remember also watching an interview with Albert Maisels where he talked about how much they actually grew to love and care for these these right. two women. And it's very oh, obvious. It. In the and head, you can you know? see it. I think it really does come through in the movie. And in the editing, too. You can see what they chose mm -hmm. to put, you know, mm -hmm. that Jerry isn't some, like... He could have been portrayed very differently right. as somebody from the outside who's sort of doing them a favor, but really he's somebody who doesn't understand them. Yeah, well, Jerry's, 
Jerry's very presence just seems funny to me. Like I just laugh when I see Jerry on the screen. Like, what's yeah. this guy doing there? Like, I don't know How that old he, is he. He seems really young. Yeah. Like, well, the more I watch the movie, the more I kind of I see it. Maybe they added it um, him as both the Edies were using Jerry to argue with each other. Mm. What are you doing? A beautiful face, like a girl. Like you look like my mother. Absolute image of my mother, Jerry. Jerry, you're not going to drink anything, are you? No. What, what are you going to have? I'll wait for the chicken. You're waiting for the chicken? Mm. You mean to say you're not going to have soup or a drink or highball or something like that? I think we better have some rum. No, she didn't put any papers on that thing today. I asked her to. Jerry, I'm badly treated all along. I think my days at Grey Gardens are limited. You know, to using, especially Big Edie, you know, she's flirting with him like she's, you know. <laughs> Got a chance. <laughs> yeah, right. And then, Maybe you she know, does, I don't know. I think Little Edie, you know, was jealous of his relationship, friendship with, you know, her mother. And then mm. there's when she's talking about the men who've lived in the house, you know, yeah. I think it was really interesting to bring that dynamic into the house to show that they weren't just these yeah. secluded recluses, mm -hmm. that there was some contact with the outside world, this tug of war with Jerry in the middle. That I think at the very least, Jerry does play that part of showing mm -hmm. that they, they there were people who were in the house right. once in a while. Like they weren't, completely yeah. isolated to themselves but they you know. do also the mazels do highlight their isolation as well right. by the food drop off occurring mm -hmm. without any he doesn't knock on the door uh and deliver the food he just drops it off and then there are several shots of just like through the bushes you see a biker yeah. or a car driving by it reinforced for me that separation of the reality they've created for themselves apart from the reality of the world a few years ago, they released the Beals of Grey Gardens mm -hmm. with, again, amazing footage. And a lot of it has Jerry in it and Lois in it. She's in the birthday party scene. Sure. And you really see them as participating more in the real world, even though these people are oh, okay. quite eccentric themselves. But, you know, it, it's interesting to see them more as an interactive group with other I, people. In Grey Gardens, you get the sense that they haven't stepped off the property in however long. So I read somewhere that Big Edie hadn't left the house since 1968. And Little Edie, except to go to the beach and to church, hadn't left the house since like 1970. Oh, so since they had the no. stepped off the property. No. <laughs> okay. But they still interacted with they the Yeah, people came and, to that. Yeah. Although in Grey Gardens, and I don't know, I haven't seen Beals of Grey Gardens, but I got the sense when you said, I didn't know her name, Lois is her yeah. name. So she just seemed very uncomfortable the entire yeah. time. But like, I think, um, is that well, an editing choice, do you think? I think that you... was an editing okay. choice because um, Lois, her mother was Mrs. Beals best friend. And when her mother died, she kind of, she actually lived at Grey Gardens, oh. and she wrote a book. She lived there for maybe like a year. Okay, and it's an interesting book, you know. And she's kind of just as nuts <laughs> as they are. Lois but, is, yeah, interesting. She's still living. I, I did not get 90s. that sense. I got the sense that she's a palm reader, almost as a oh. care. Oh, really? See, yeah, I, she seems <laughs> she to would me paint like these, she all like those paintings somebody, yeah. in the house. She did really, yeah, and she would paint like these portraits of like like little Edie coming out of like the sea. 
Huh. You know, and I, that is know, not the sense my I got at sense all completely was yeah. that she was someone who was just completely uncomfortable, like almost like she hadn't been there right. for a long yeah. time. Yeah, and, yeah, was and just she was like, just there as a service to them. But so maybe her the personality was just her personality. It wasn't. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. she's just yeah. an I think odd she's just person. Kinda, you know, she goes with the flow. So I felt like on this time around, I I think the first time around, I was definitely picking up on things that just made me uncomfortable mm-hmm. about the way they live. Yeah. And this time around, I decided to kind of make a conscious effort to see how they live that I kind of admire or that I kind of wish I could do more of or, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of sought that out this time. And I don't know if you guys want to speak to that at all, but for me, it seemed interesting and this could also be an editing choice as well, but they were living in the 70s, so it wasn't a totally like, I mean, there were things like television around, but interestingly, they kind of stick to the radio. Yeah. And um, for all their quirks, there is something kind of beautiful about them just being in a house and singing and dancing together and just like reminiscing. Um, and I think sometimes they're doing it for the camera. Um, actually, a lot of times I think they're doing it for the camera. But I, I admire your positive outlook on that. It's a positive outlook that's also coupled by my first viewing of it. Right, because a lot of their singing and dancing, which, like you said, may have been for the camera, was also so competitive with one another. And Little Edie's singing and dancing especially was so often met with violent criticism and uh, sometimes cruel criticism as I perceived it. And um, their reminiscing is also very much... Uh, sort of sad living in the past and I'm all for reminiscing if it isn't uh, a way of escaping the reality of current life or you know it, it just doesn't seem as healthy as perhaps you've were, were no I think you're right I mean I yeah and that's the and what's also um, kind of disturbing about what you're saying with the, the relationship between Big Edie and Little Edie is that Big Edie will critique her as mm-hmm. she's doing all of this and then as soon as she leaves the room she can tell mm-hmm. david and albert that she's got a better voice she, than i than i ever did, did when i was an agent it, it's it like, just seems so sad that that there's something about big eating mate i don't know what it is but i've well, seen I mean, it in other people where you you can't praise someone especially mm-hmm. a child or a close friend or someone who shouldn't be in competition with you but you you feel for some reason they are well, too, I mean, I think, you know, we have to understand, too, when we're watching this movie, these two women spend every single day together, mm-hmm. every single minute. And I mean, to think about the closest people in your life, there's codependency. Yeah. And, you know, when you throw in living a life of complete fantasy, there's definitely going to be, you know, trying to get their goat. They make up, mm-hmm. they fight, they sing, they fight, they make up. You know, yeah. that was their life. Yeah. Nothing ever changed yeah and you can see in the the cycles of the movie their arguments Mm -hmm. they're getting along like you know nothing is ever going to change for these women yeah and i can appreciate it for sort of yeah you know making that statement as the film itself you know like it doesn't wrap a bow on this at all or even give you an epilogue or anything about what what because i think i remember the first time i watched it like you kind of think well is Edie going to leave right like yeah is she gonna leave is that what it's building towards and no you know, it's going to be this constant, you know, misinterpretation between the two of them. Why did she stay with her mother? Did right. her mother make her stay? Or did she come back of her own free will? Yeah. It's, you know, it's, can Edie just get up and leave? She's a grown woman, mm-hmm. you know? It's another thing about the movie that is, 
difficult to figure right. out. Is she? Is it admirable that she's there taking care of her mother despite the fact that her mother makes her life so difficult? Or is it a little bit sad that she is so, you know, sort of lost without mm-hmm. that right. life that she can't leave? That she, if she left, where would she go? Um, and the movie doesn't tell us whether it's admirable right. or sad. It makes it very unclear. I know. And I think that's very frustrating to a lot of people. And also, honestly, doesn't really make you want to go watch it again right away. No. In uh, fact, when we yeah. decided we were going to do this episode, <laughs> yeah, you were. I was like, uh, I don't know if I want to watch it. Uh, yeah. Fine, I'll watch it again. I can <laughs> see myself in a few years, maybe not even that long, but in a while after being haunted by it and right. mulling it over, wanting to go back and maybe, uh, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, see what all the fuss is about again, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I remember actually. Um, I was watching some videos of, um, they actually had two fashion designers on the Criterion special features, uh, John Bartlett and Todd Oldham. And they both talked about their first time watching it and not getting what all the fuss was about. But they were both talking about it, how much, how much it's meant to them, even in a professional way, how much Grey Gardens has meant to them. So it obviously grew in their estimation, but we have the luxury now with Blu-ray and DVD where if we want to watch it again, we'll just get yeah, it and we'll watch it. it. There is a Criterion edition of this. But I'm trying to figure out how this thing got so much momentum in a day where it probably didn't even get a wide theatrical release. Right. Mm-hmm. You'd have to really seek it out. I mean, um, John Bartlett said it was basically kind of it, – it became this legend in New York where – it was kind of like Deep Throat. Right. Like it was no, something yeah, everyone yeah. talked about, but few had actually mm-hmm. seen. And that he actually got this VHS copy that was like the worst yeah. transfer. Like some of the audio even mm-hmm. cut out and it just was like an awful transfer. And then watching that yeah. transfer and staying like, what is this? What? I don't get it. You yeah. know, I just don't get it. But there is something that does bring you back to it. And I can even speak as someone who was because of this episode kind of forced to rewatch it. Um, I wasn't looking forward to rewatching it, but I will say that as soon as I hit play, I was like, okay, you know, I kind right, of actually like was that. immediately pulled in and mm. said, okay, I think there's something I'm going to get out of this that I didn't get the first time. I, I could feel it within the first five minutes of watching it. As soon as I even heard the voices, I was mm-hmm. like, mm. oh yeah. Again, Cause there's <laughs> like that quiet, yeah, I think you're right. Magic yeah, about that, it, you know, it's like stepping into water or something. Yeah. I don't know, and you know, and yeah, that that must be something that comes through on repeat viewings because to me it felt so chaotic, mm-hmm. and that even moments that should be quiet, where little Edie is cleaning up her room or whatever, Big Edie's still right. Like that constant. It's like a looming was, presence almost. And that yeah. sort of scene makes me, you know, makes little Edie sort of the main character of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that you, you? There's a lot of sympathy for the the, the fact that she can't escape mm-hmm. Big Edie's influence. Even if Big Edie were to die, little Edie mm-hmm. would not be free of anything really. And just that constant, you can't make out what she's saying, but she's always there. So for me, I have a very hard time. Finding positives in Big yeah. Edie, especially. Well, I I would actually be curious because I feel like when I hear people who love this movie, they almost exclusively talk about Little Edie. Yeah. And as someone who like loves this movie and has seen it a lot, I don't know if Eric, have you found yeah, something in Big Edie that is in itself also like just as beautiful or just as redeemable? Or yeah, I do. I think you know she was definitely the dominant partner 
in the marriage. I mean, there's all yeah. different kinds of marriages. Right. And um, I think that certainly she was, you know, manipulative. But the beauty of, like, I think, like, the prison that she created for herself and for her daughter, I mean, that's why we're still talking about it right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her her expression of her singing, it goes back to, like, you know, her missed chances of her life, but it's also her way of expressing her love for her daughter. And, you know, again, it's like, you know, the most codependent relationship I think maybe ever put on film. Yeah. Besides yeah. Psycho, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not a picture of a healthy <laughs> right. but child. I mean, you know, like, no, definitely like one finds, you know, Little Edie, the, the beauty of the movie. But maybe we think that now because we're still young. Maybe mm. when we're older, you know, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like maybe you can we could relate to Big Edie's choices and her approach to things, even if maybe it's not us, but we can see where she's yeah. coming from when we're older. Yeah, even though I don't have kids, I do. I have recognized, and uh, as a teacher, it, in a way I've recognized similar things, that um, nobody writes the book for you, right. that you make your own choices, that you do the best you can. And if there is something that I see positive in Big Edie is that she... She is not spending her time second guessing the choices no, she made. No, not at all. So mm-hmm. her singing throughout the movie, like talking about her husband when she had the chance, mm-hmm. sort of, to divorce her husband for one, um, or to change something about her life to appease what mm-hmm. to appease him to keep him from leaving. Um, she never regrets anything, and she never. Or, better or worse, apologizes for anything. I think there's a lot of choices she wouldn't have needed to apologize for. I think in terms of Little Edie, I think there are some things that maybe mm-hmm. she should have made peace with Little Edie over, apologized for. Um, but that there is something, I don't know about beautiful, good, admirable in the way she stands by how she chose her to lie. parent. Yeah, how well, she chose her life. Yeah, and she actually gets probably the most summarizing line of the mm-hmm. movie where she's talking about the cat. The cat's going to the bathroom. Right in back of my portrait. Oh, isn't that awful? No, I'm glad he is. I'm glad somebody's doing something they want to do. <laughs> the Maisel's capturing that on film is perfect because mm-hmm. it says so much. It's It says so much about Big Edie's mentality mm-hmm. of like, I don't even care if what's happening is destructive it's important that you do what you want to do mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm. that she lives that, yeah. you know, she doesn't care if you think she really, her yeah, life she is really destructive did or, not care um, about what anybody no, thought. She doesn't care about much at that point. <laughs> it seems except for her autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. True. yeah. This is totally off subject, but do you know Jiminy Glick, Martin Short's yes. character? Yeah. How much of his voice <laughs> is based on Little Edie, do you think? Oh, probably a lot. I think <laughs> Little Edie has filtered her way into yeah, many. Probably. I just kept hearing. That was part of what, <laughs> I don't know, that, that definitely affected my viewing because it was either times where I was needing to think about something because the movie was dragging or whatever, but uh, there were just times where I was like, Martin Short is a very perfect <laughs> impersonation of Little Edie <laughs> doing Jiminy Glick. So you got to wonder, like, if she was at the right age when mm-hmm. things like the surreal life were coming out. And, yeah, you know, right. you know yeah. like, if she would have had a whole career, right. kind of like a Tammy Faye Baker um, when she mm-hmm. was alive, mm-hmm. like, just as someone who 
is just who they are. Celebrity apprentice. You know, a little unconventional. <laughs> and they make a whole career out of, you know, appearances yeah. and, um, you know, reality television. But I kind of wanted, I did want to talk about, to get your feelings on this. And I don't even know that I need to necessarily mention where the discussion was taking place. And this came up with our American movie discussion, too, about whether... Um, Choosing these people as mm -hmm. documentary subjects was exploitive of them. Mm -hmm. And if we are then nothing more than voyeurs when watching this. And I have a knee-jerk reaction to that where I just say no. Mm -hmm. um, I have my reasons why. But it does seem Your to be... Your knee-jerk reaction to this movie or to that question in general? Well, this movie, but also we, we kind of came to that conclusion in American movie where we didn't really feel like these people were being exploited. But I just wonder, I think, I wonder why that always comes up when you have a documentary about people who are kind of weird or quirky, where I think it, mm -hmm. again, it comes back to the Rorschach thing. It says right. more no, about the viewer. Yeah. Exactly. It, Absolutely. And there's something kind of condescending about that, right. I think, where you're the one because you're so normal or yeah. you think you right. have it together. These people should be ashamed. These, either these people should be ashamed or the director should be ashamed mm -hmm. for putting them on display like this for us to laugh at. Well, and, even if you don't think specifically they should be ashamed, you do think they should not be seen, you know, publicly. Right. This should not be put on display because right. it is a display. I again, I think, like we said with American movie, in different hands, or even made it a different time. Like if if they were on reality TV, right, they would have been made a caricature. Right, and I think it's very important. This movie in no way is ca a caricature. No, no. And I mean, this movie isn't even campy. Yeah, you know, that's true. It yeah, really it's is not, not. People who would think that this movie is exploitive. You know, like we said, it's the test. They are looking at themselves in a negative light. Mm -hmm. And you can, I don't think, even someone who's truly honest with themselves or part of themselves can watch this movie and not, and in no way can find it exploitive because this movie is a love story between these mm. two women and these two brothers mm. yeah. making this movie. I think they a, celebrate yeah. the, these women. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. Um, and because even in the interview I watched with Albert Mazels, he talked about really wanting to portray the mother-daughter relationship, which in his words right. was perhaps the most profound relationship possible. And yet it doesn't mm -hmm. hardly ever get any right. um, attention in yeah. film. And um, in you know, and two, I mean, certainly mother-daughter yeah. relationships, I imagine. And, yeah. you know, father-son, yeah. husband-wife, like, you know. Relationships are very complicated, yeah. and they're ugly. They're loving, and each one is unique. Exactly, and you know, like, like I said before, like they're mother daughter, but they're married. Mm -hmm. You know, right? And there's all different kinds of marriages. Yeah, and you know, they really celebrated that relationship. Well, and I don't think it's it's a uh, coincidental that one of the that that first scene where she's talking about her outfit, she talks about the way that they perceive the brothers. Mm -hmm. Where she says, "Mother says you're very conservative, yeah. and you're, you know, he's wearing light blue." That it's a brief thing, and you could possibly make too much of it, but right away they do set up that people are different, and people mm -hmm. see each other differently, and even brothers who have come together to make this movie have two very different sensibilities. Right. You know, that's the thing is, I I remember again in that Albert Maisel's interview, he also talked about like how 
they would do a day of shooting mm -hmm. and there were certain days where, you know, they would get some great stuff, but maybe only like an hour or two or whatever. And then like they would have some days where the four of them would say, in fact, little Edie would mm -hmm. say, boy, that was a banner day. Right. Like they knew exactly what they were doing. And even so little good. Edie afterwards, mm -hmm. I believe like really liked this documentary. Oh, yeah. Like, well, you know, but yeah. then the question was raised. And this is, I think, is maybe even more offensive. Are they in a correct mental state to make that yeah, decision? Right. It was a conversation I was yeah. reading online, yeah. but it was from a, a pretty mainstream publication. And I just, I don't like the position that puts an audience sure. in when watching yeah. this, where we have to kind of make a diagnosis every time we watch a documentary yeah. about whether, about the mental state of the mm -hmm. subjects based on their editing. Right, <laughs> right, know? right. The really interesting th thing that it says about each viewer is that this movie, more than a lot of other documentaries or movies or books or art at all, really, not overtly, but vitally forces you to look at yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it pretty much questions everything right. about the way you look at people. If your proclivity is to feel guilt and all of a sudden you're projecting that on these people, they should feel guilty for acting the way they're acting or I should feel guilty for watching this right. and you really need to examine that. If you're trying to say, okay, are these people faking it? Are they crazy? Mm -hmm. Are they delusional? You need to really look at why do you feel the need to categorize people so wholly and so so singly? And uh, it gets very conformist right. after a while. Like yeah, are we yeah, not yeah. are yeah. we not allowed to mm -hmm. show characters? Well, not characters but even people? Well, are who... people allowed to be admirable and and make bad choices or yeah. are they allowed to be uh critical but also loving like are what 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 amount of multiplicity are we allowing in people what, yeah. what level of complexity and i saw this if you'll forgive me and maybe this won't make sense when i started working in special ed people would like either say oh i could never do that mm -hmm. or oh they're such angels and i'm like one no they're not right. <laughs> people yeah. with special needs can be real assholes um, and also, there's nothing better about me than anybody else for working with them. I don't have a, one, I don't have this extreme level of patience. Two, these students don't require necessarily an angel to teach them. Like, they are people, and there's, yeah, there's something a little bit different about them. Some days I'll laugh at them. Some days I'll get super mad at them. Some days right. I'll be mm -hmm. elated with the way they're acting. But they're not always joyous, and they are not always frustrating and difficult. But people can't really wrap their heads right, around right. that. But that and should I'm be. Sorry, I'm sorry for comparing the Beals to students with special well, you hit on needs. But we're talking about people that we would maybe interpret as unconventional, whether right. it is because of some medical diagnosis or whether it's just because you have Your a quirky person, personality. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, you hit on something really important for me just now, is that, and I think maybe this is why you know I love the movie so much. But for me, I find in my movies that I love, the books I love, art, whatever, that. The most beautiful thing to me is something that will shock me out of my complacency. Mm. And that's what mm -hmm. this movie does yeah. to every single person who watches it. And every time I watch it, I'm shocked out of it. I mean, maybe if you if, if you aren't shocked by it mm -hmm. or or unsettled by right. it, then you were probably living in that house. <laughs> right, oh, right. But I mean, that's, you know, the people yeah. like you were talking in, in the article. And certainly, you know, when they're talking about the people in the village of East Hampton. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, you can get arrested for wearing red shoes on a Monday, she says, <laughs> you know? Right. And her costumes would shock, you know, because it's the conformity, because, you know, their complacency, they want to hold on to it. 
and the critics and the people who watch the movie and who criticize yeah. it and make judgments and you know assumptions you know their their complacency is pretty ironclad and i guess maybe what i really appreciate about the way the mazels approach this project is it didn't become just some sort of vendetta about right. nonconformity. right it's a very nuanced look at it it's like here are two people who you can without a sh- objectively say are nonconformist. Yeah. you know they are they are right. living a life mm-hmm. that is not within the society's norms the way you are supposed to live a life and, not and only they are showing in that in its entirety like here's some things that you can appreciate about mm-hmm. that here's some things you can love about it these people um we do genuinely love and care for them like in a very human right. sort of way but and all through they've the got raccoons movies. in their wall. Right. Like they've yeah. got raccoons. They're feeding, they're feeding the their raccoons. raccoons. And like not Buster. only society in general. <laughs> yeah. Not only society in general. Waspy, right. Long Island, yes. presidential. Tr- yes. That is the like most conforming of conformist societies in America. The closest thing After- we have to royalty, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or aristocracy, especially, especially yeah. the the Kennedys. And to to be eighty years old and still. Dropping your bathing suit on camera. Right. Like, that's. There I don't is, have any warts on me. <laughs> there is something definitely admirable, to say the least, about that. Yeah. I think to go along with um, sort of that beauty of imperfection that is so. Show, that's shown so beautifully in the movie is um, my very favorite moment in the whole movie, and it catches me every time. And I almost stop breathing, and I really did the first time I saw it, even. Um, toward the end of the movie, they're in the bedroom. And they're just filming, and Biggie's rattling on, and they're just filming Little Edie. And then she looks at them, and she says, you know, I don't see myself as you see me, but you're very good at what you do see me as. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that's us Mm. in every relationship, you know, we have with people. And that moment of clarity, and she does have these, these moments of such wisdom and just normal clarity. Yeah. And then, you know, she'll go on dancing and, you know, (laughs) but what do we look at when Mm. we look at each other? Like we see imperfections, but, you know, why do we fall in love? We fall in love with the imperfect things about people. And, you know, that's what made me fall in love with these, these women. Interesting. Very well said. I think actually on that, we could probably go ahead and kind of, um, in, in the discussion here and maybe, you know, I guess after discussing here and raising a lot of interesting points, like. Where are we at with this movie or what mm-hmm. as we've done in our last few episodes me and ryan at least like what's what's our friendship looking like are we kind of seeing eye to eye on this or are we kind of uh still is our relationship still complicated is it still strained <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i i for one am really glad that you were here for this oh absolutely uh, well, thank you for absolutely absolutely i think even though i did like it a lot more the second mm-hmm. time um even after just hearing you talk about it i feel like i i can go ahead and maybe even mm-hmm. Maybe not bump it up a, a, a lot, but... Tomorrow. Yeah, I'll have to rewatch it again. I don't know. But I think I'll probably still keep it at just that that kind of four-star mm-hmm. rating. But I I really do have a, a real appreciation for this movie. I, I think only having seen it once, I'm still going to have to keep it at three and a half. But it, it changed the way I saw this this first time. That The things that unsettled me are a lot less murky to me now and a lot less less haunting i I think i'm not going to have that sort of haunting um feeling as the as i carry the movie with me i think i'm going to have a lot more to mull over and think about the way i see people and my students and my wife and my friends and every every relationship i think is going to look different now if that sounds (laughs) hyperbolic i'm sorry but uh 
Yeah, I, I, so it's going to be, it's, I'm going to keep it at a three and a half, but with certainty that I'm going to be seeing it again and seeing it differently that time. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as the discussion goes, we've all had kind of a very mutual understanding yes. <laughs> as far as yeah. the three levels we have of whether we're best buds, right? whether we have a mutual understanding or um, whether it's complicated. And yeah. I don't feel like we're leaving this in a complicated place. Mm-hmm. I no. feel like we're leaving this really feeling like we've each definitely learned something about yeah. a different thing we all got from this movie yeah. watching I, it. I think I have a and couple... it's a movie that lends itself to that. Oh, absolutely. Know? And I think I have a couple dozen more viewings before yeah. I get to <laughs> where Eric is. Um but I think I think uh, I think little and big Edie would be fine with us having our Definitely. own. I mean, in your introduction, said something like, "Does it still carry through?" Or, and I mean, you know, it certainly does because we're still talking about these women. And oh yeah, you absolutely. Know, they're, you know, and I and I really think this is the Maisel's masterpiece. Do you? Okay, I really do. All right, but yeah, if uh, if any of our listeners or if you out there listening have anything to say about Grey Gardens or anything that we talked about with Grey Gardens, mm-hmm. um, you you love it, you hate it, you don't know how you feel about it, which is kind of how we're all at. But yeah. um, if you do, we'd we'd love to hear from you. Make sure Definitely. that you um, comment on our website, um, canwestillbefriends.net. Um, you can always hit us up on uh, our, all of the various social media Twitter outlets and on there, Facebook. Out there. That's that's it. it. We're the not two. on Snapchat or Google Plus or what's the new Plus or what's the Tinder? New T- yeah, hit us up on Tinder. <laughs> what do you think Little Edie's Twitter would be like? Oh geez. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's a good question. Maybe our listeners could, <laughs> yeah. could respond back as Little Edie. Could she <laughs> could she keep herself to 140 characters? I, I, horoscopes maybe linked to the horoscopes. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, we'd love to hear from you. You can also always. Uh, Give us a call and leave a, a voicemail if you'd like. Our phone number is 847-306-9532. We would, we would love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. With that said, uh, why don't we go ahead and talk about uh, what we're going to be watching for our next episode? <laughs> yeah. It's an odd choice, but for some reason, I'm excited to see it. I think this is going to be a fun episode. Um, for a lot of reasons, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. One, one, of the things, one of the things that we're... Um, very happy and excited about is the the recent FCC um, decision about sure. net neutrality, which is Absolutely. something that we both care a lot about. And so we're trying to figure out, okay, what yeah. what what film could we do that really tackles the internet? Yeah, you know? and we also like to celebrate uh, anniversaries and celebrating its anniversary this year, its twentieth anniversary. Yeah, um, one of the uh, foundational internet movies, one of Sandra Bullock's star making turns mm-hmm. in 1995's The Net. The Net. And I remember, I think my dad got this from Blockbuster when it came out. Uh, I probably didn't really pay attention when it was on. Nate, you've never seen it. I haven't seen it, but how much could have possibly changed with the yeah. internet in 20 years? 20 years, the internet probably hasn't changed uh, a bit. So we're excited to see this movie. Uh, we haven't really done sort of like a thriller, just like a. I don't know, this sort of movie before. Right, like also, a sort of popcorn thriller and type if, thing. But. If it's been a movie we haven't seen, it's usually because we think it's important to see. Maybe with summer coming, we're feeling the need to have like a popcorn. Just relax. Just and, relax and, and just, have fun watching yeah. a movie. Yeah, the, so anyways. The Net, if you If wanna, you can find it. If you can find We'd it. love for you to watch The maybe Net on, with us. Maybe it's on the Netflix Oh, yeah, The Net. <laughs> Anyways, um, we hope that you watch it with us, or if you if you remember The Net at all, we'd love to just hear your thoughts about The Net yes. and uh, Sandra Bullock and um, just... Whoever else is in it. Dennis Miller's in it, I believe. Really? 
I think so. This is going to be fun. Yeah. This is going to be a lot of fun. So anyways, um, uh, as always, we want to just thank you so much for listening to our podcast. And I Definitely. do want to thank Eric for uh, coming oh, in and talking Great Gardens with us. Thank, thank you, you for very coming much in. for having me. It would have been me. a much lesser episode without you. Absolutely. So um, we'll, we'll catch you next time when we're discussing um, Sandra Bullock in The Net. <laughs> See you later.